In our day and age, most sociologists and people who study our culture would tell you that we live in what they term a post-Christian world. What that means is simply that Christianity is no longer the guiding force uh, and the thing in which we uh, informs our ethics and our values and the decisions that we make, that we uh, now lean on our own human wisdom, humanism, other uh, ways of um, tackling things, but that Christianity, the Word of God, isn't the central presiding reality in which uh, the, the norms of our culture are formed. And I, I agree with that. I mean, all you got to do is look at the decisions that are made and the way that uh, things are handled, and you know it's not based on the Word of God. But what's not true is that we live in a non-spiritual world. Uh, there are those who would want you to think that somehow we have jettisoned all need for the spiritual and we are simply now a rational people. We embrace science and empirical data and what can be tested and measured and observed and that's all that there is. But our world isn't wired that way. And as a matter of fact, study after study, uh, poll after poll, research after research shows that in the modern age, we are more spiritual than ever. We're just not necessarily Christian. Uh, so for example, in, um, in 1990, about 32 years, 33 years ago, they did a survey and they found that about 20% of the population believed in the spiritual, the supernatural world. Uh, 12 years later, in 2002, they did a very similar survey, and they found that that number was up to 32%. 2019, pre-pandemic, it went from 32% to 46%. But something happened over the last three years through a global pandemic, and, and I believe just through other things that are happening in our world and our culture. And as of the end of last year, 2022, the number of people who believe in the supernatural realm, in, in, in supernatural phenomena, is up to 67%. So what I want to do in this series is look at what the Bible teaches about the supernatural realm, the spiritual realm, and how we're to intersect with it. So I'm going to use two terms in this series. Um, I'm going to somewhat use them interchangeably. They're very similar. Um, and so the first is the word paranormal. So let me give you a definition for that. Paranormal, psychic or mental phenomena outside the range of the normal. It's not empirical. You can't measure it. You can't test it. It's there. It's, it, it, it's happening, but it's beyond the normal senses to, uh, to wrap our arms around. The other word, and this is more old-timey, it's what we used to use instead of the word paranormal, it's the word occult. And here's what occult means. That which is hidden, secret, beyond ordinary human knowledge, outside of normal life. Again, that, that which is beyond the veil, to use an old-time phrase. So, what does that mean? Is there a spiritual realm? The Bible says that there is. How do we interact with it? What does that look like? Because things can seem innocent, but are they really? Things like seances and witchcraft and psychic readings and tarot cards, uh, are those things just innocent or is there something more there? Because the, the Word of God is very clear on how we're to interact with the spiritual realm. Whether it comes in the form of God's Spirit and interacting in positive ways, or whether it's in the form of interacting with uh, evil forces in spiritual realms. And what does that mean? 
Because it's not innocent, and as we're going to find in this series, it can wreak havoc on your life. So what I want to do before we dive in is I want to give a quick kind of overarching, um, concise framework of what the spiritual realm is, and then we're going to kind of uh, unpack that a little bit. So biblically, the Bible teaches very clearly that there is one God, one God who has always existed in the form of three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It is not uh, three gods. The Bible says here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. It's the Hebrew word echad. It means one, singular, but one of many. So he is made up of three distinct persons who have always existed, co-eternal, co-in-power, co-in-nature, three distinct gods, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, unbroken unity. So this one God has always existed. And then it teaches us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that word heavens has two connotations to it. One is uh, when we look up into the sky and the cosmos, the stars and the galaxies and, and all that exists up above us. That is part of what that means. It also means the heavenly realms where we don't see the spiritual realms. So it says that God created the heavens and the earth. So God created a physical realm and a spiritual realm. And the physical realm and the spiritual realm together form one reality. So the physical realm is, is what we see, what we can touch, what we can see, measure, taste, feel. So it's the physical world. It's where our bodies live. See, we're created with a physical body and we live in a physical world. But we also were created with a spirit. And our spirits, when we come to relationship with God and Jesus Christ, become alive. And we connect with God in the spiritual realm through our spirits and his Holy Spirit. So his spirit bears witness with our spirit, deep to deep. So we exist in the physical realm and we become alive in Christ and we experience God in the spiritual realm. But just as we live in the physical realm, other things live in the physical realm, right? There's birds and cattle and fish and animals, right? We're not the only ones who inhabit the physical realm. And in the same way, we're not the only ones and God's not the only one who inhabits the spiritual realm. So in the beginning, God was the only one in the spiritual realm. It was God in perfect unity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who filled the spiritual realm. He fills all things in all things. But God then created angels, and angels inhabited the spiritual realm. Then it tells us, the Bible does, in Revelation chapter 12, that there was a war in heaven. That Lucifer, an, an angel, led a rebellion against God. And in that rebellion, he led about a third of the angels to rebel against God. And this war was raging. And, and God cast the devil, Satan, Lucifer, out of heaven, along with the um, third of the angels, and now this war is raging, both in the heavens and on the earth. And this is what Paul writes in Ephesians. He says, our fight is not with people. It's not flesh and blood. We think that if we get the right person elected to office, we win. We don't, that's not the battle. If we get the right legislation passed, we win. That's not the battle. He says, that's not the battle. It's against leaders and powers and spirits of darkness in this world. So there's a war raging spiritually here on earth. It's against the demon world that fights in the heavenly realms. So this battle has bled over both to the natural and the spiritual realm. Those two realms that come together and form reality. 
And that, that battle isn't isolated to one or the other. It bleeds over into both. And so what we want to do in this series is look at how do we uh, engage in that battle? How do we deal with those spiritual things? How do we make sure that we are not entertaining the spirits of darkness and evil that so easily want to come in and entice us? So let's start by talking about angels. There's a lot of misunderstanding about angels. I just want to talk about five uh, deal, five attributes of angels. The first is this. Angels were created by God. Angels are not uh, eternal in the sense of they haven't always existed. They're not little gods. They're not sub-gods. They're not um, you know, minor gods. It, it's not Zeus and, and the other gods. Angels were created by God, but they're not God. They weren't created in God's image. Angel simply means messenger or minister. So they are God's servants. They, they, they carry his message. They do his bidding. They, they, they'll war for him. They'll fight for him. They'll, they'll go where, they, where he asks them to go. But he created them. It didn't always exist. This is what it says in the Psalms. It says, praise the Lord. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For at his command, they were created. So God created them. Now, it's interesting, God created them with agency, with, with free will. They're free will agents. They can, they can make a choice to obey God and walk in obedience to God or disobey God and walk in disobedience. Those that have stayed loyal and faithful to God are his ministering angels, carrying his messages, messages, doing his bidding. Those who are in rebellion to God, we're going to find out, are serving the spirits of darkness. So angels are created. The next thing is this. Angels are not humans that died. I'm going to talk more about this next year. I'm going to do a series on, on, on the value of life, um, on, on how to face death, and what happens when we die, life after death. Because everyone who's ever lived was born, we should know the value of life. We're all going to face death, unless we're alive when Jesus comes back. We're all going to face death. And everyone wants to know what happens when we die. You know, do we go to heaven? Is there, is there heaven and hell? Do we, is there an afterlife? Is this it? Is you just die and then, and then you're done and, and that would make, live your left, best life, shoot your best shot and, you know, make it count? What, what happens when we die? But one thing that we know for sure is that humans don't die and become angels. Hollywood TV shows will tell you that. And there's nothing wrong with watching, uh, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. It's my, one of my favorite, probably my favorite Christmas movie. And, you know, Clarence, we don't become angels when we die. And I don't want to stomp on anybody. Please hear me. If you've lost a, a loved one, a child, a spouse, someone near to you, and, and maybe you've put this or someone has shared this, well, God just needed another angel in heaven. I, I, I understand the sentiment behind that, but it's not true. Don't let Hollywood and don't let a greeting card inform your understanding of the things of God. Let the Bible inform that. See, God doesn't want your loved one in heaven because he needs another angel. He wants your loved one in heaven if they've come to faith in God through Jesus Christ because he wants heaven populated by his sons and his daughters. It's so much better than being an angel because the Bible says, to which of the angels has he ever said, you are my child? None. We have something so much better and richer, me being made in God's image 
as the potential to become adopted in to become his children. Everyone who's born isn't God's child. Everyone who's born again is. So we have that opportunity to go to heaven. We don't become angels. As a matter of fact, this is what it says in Hebrews. It says, angels are merely spirits sent to serve people who are going to be saved. They live in the spirit realm. Now, there are times when God sends them and they interact in the natural, the physical realm, and they can sometimes appear in human bodies, but they're not humans who have died. The next thing about angels is this. Angels are powerful. I mean, stand back, knock your socks off. They, they can take you out with not much trouble. There's a reason almost every time someone interacts, sees, encounters an angel in the Bible, they are scared out of their gourd. They, they fall down as if dead. They're terrified. Why do you think angels say, don't be afraid? I mean, if they showed up with chubby cheeks and a halo playing on a harp, nobody's going to be afraid. They may be like, what in the world? These are warriors. They are powerful. They are ready to lay waste if God tells them to. As a matter of fact, this is what it says in 2 Kings. One angel, the angel of the Lord, went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 soldiers. One angel. I mean, these are, don't, don't mess with an angel. The book of Revelation tells us that when God pours out his wrath on creation, he's going to do it primarily by using angels, sending angels, seven angels to be specific. And through just seven angels, he's going to lay waste to all of the created order. Seven angels. They're powerful. Now, I just want to say something because this is very important when it comes to angels. There are books that have been written and people that teach that somehow or other, as a Christian, you can command angels. There is nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in the Bible where it tells us we can command angels. And why would we need to? We have the spirit of the living God inside of us. We have, we have uh, access to God's spirit. We don't command angels. Angels are powerful, but how they're used, when they're sent, when they're commissioned, what, uh, what their role is in any moment in human interaction is left to God's command and God's wisdom. Matter of fact, in Psalm 91, it says, he gives his angels commands concerning us. We don't command angels, God does. They are at his beck and call. So angels were created. Angels are powerful. Angels uh, interact, but they're not humans who died, but they do interact with us at God's command. And here's the next thing. There are millions, and I mean millions of angels. In Daniel, it talks about 10,000 times 10,000 angels. We don't know if that's the literal number or figurative, but if you do the math, that's 100 million angels. There's a lot of them. There are millions of them. The book of Revelation says this. John looked and saw, and he says, I heard the voice of thousands and millions of angels around the throne. Jesus, when he's talking, he, at one point, he says, I could call down 12 legions of angels. Now, a legion in the Roman army, a standing legion, was numbered between 3,000 and 6,000 soldiers. So Jesus is saying, right now, I could just call down, if I want to, between 32,000 and 76,000 angels. There's a lot of them. A lot of angels, millions of them, and they're powerful, and they're ready to move at God's command. 
And the last thing is this. There are different kinds of angels. We don't know all of them, but the Bible gives a very clear indication that there's order, there's rank, there's structure, there's roles, there's um, ways in which angels are used distinctly based on um, how God created them. There's cherubim and seraphim and archangels, there's guardian angels, there's warring angels, there's messenger angels, there's all kinds of angels that are used at God's discretion. And so God sends these angels to be used in powerful, powerful ways. Now, that's angels. What happens is we saw in the book of Revelation, I mentioned that there was a, 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 re, a rebellion and that a third of the angels fell. So here's the last thing about angels. Fallen angels are known as demons. Those angels that rebelled against God, that left their proper place, that left the way that they were created, that began to say, I want to live in a way that doesn't follow and obey the things of God, that does right but live in opposition to God, God cast them out of heaven. And they are now hell-bent on creating and wreaking havoc in this world to lie, to deceive, to to stand against God's will and plans and purposes on this earth and in your life. I mentioned uh, some of this when I did a message on the book of Jude this summer, but here's what it says in Jude, uh, verse 6. I remind you of those angels who were once pure and holy but turned to a life of sin. Now God has them chained up in prisons of darkness waiting for the day of judgment. And when it says they're chained up, uh, it doesn't mean that they are bound in, in, in prison somewhere. It means they are set for judgment. There is no hope of redemption for angels. Jesus didn't die for angels. Jesus died for those who were created in God's image, for humanity. And so th- their condition is fixed. They rebelled against God and they will be judged. And so what they do now is they try to convince us that they're not evil and that God's not good. That's all they're trying to do. We're not evil. We're not bad. They'll even disguise themselves as angels of light. We're not bad. We're not evil. But God's not good. He's not gracious. And you can't trust him. It's why in 1 John it tells us that we need to test the spirits. Because not every spirit is from God. There are lying spirits out there who want to get us off track. So we need to say, God, I want to close my heart and my life to any voice that isn't your voice. And when we mess with the occult, when we mess with the paranormal, we open our hearts and we open our lives to the influence of the demonic. And it comes in and it will wreak havoc on us. Now, who's the most well-known angel that fell? Satan. Remember, Satan was an angel, probably an archangel, who led a rebellion. He wanted, to, he wanted to claim God's glory for himself. He wanted to sit on God's throne. He, it was pride that led Lucifer to fall. Lucifer, the, the bright and morning star, I mean, he, he decided, I want to be God. In order to be God, I have to kill God. So he led this rebellion, and, and it was this, this terrible reality, and he's this fallen angel. And now he, he is wanting to uh, lead all these other fallen angels in this open warfare against God. So there's a few things I want to talk about so you can understand the nature of Satan. Now, he goes by a lot of names, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the, uh, the, 
the enemy of our souls, the deceiver, um, the prince of the power of darkness, all kind of names. You can refer to Satan of any of those, but here's the point. Satan wants to uh, come in and, um, and work his ways into your life to such a degree that you will begin to question who God is. That's all he wants to do. He wants to, he wants to cause problems. So, There's a few things about Satan. First of all, it's this. Satan is not God's opposite but equal. This is very, very, very important. There are people that will tell you there's God on one side and all the angels, and there's Satan on the other side and all the demons, and that they are, um, you know, God against the devil, right? As if they're opposite and equal. That's not true. It's not true. Satan is not God, he doesn't share God's attributes. Satan is not all-powerful, he's not all-knowing, he's not all-present. Don't fall into a dualistic, uh, the the idea of dualism when it comes to good and evil. You've probably seen the symbol, right? Yin-yang. That that everything, everything that's good has an opposite and equal negative. There's a balance to everything. That's dual, that's Taoism. That's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that God is above everything, that Satan was a created being, created by God, who was an angel who fell. So he's not equal in in character and nature and power to God. Some people teach that Satan was Jesus' evil twin brother. That you had Jesus who walked in obedience and was crowned with glory. And Satan who was his brother who walked in disobedience and crowned in shame. But Satan was never God. He was not Jesus' brother. Satan was an angel who led a rebellion and lost. So... Does that mean we don't have to take the devil serious? No. Just like angels are powerful, demons and demonic forces are powerful, and they're real, and Jesus didn't think the devil was a joke. As a matter of fact, it tells us he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus stood face to face, understands the power and the schemes of the devil. Jesus didn't think the devil was a joke. He didn't think he was a figment of our imagination. He didn't think he was simply a philosophical construct in order for us to understand the nature and the origins of evil. Jesus said, the devil is real and I want you to take him serious. So he said some things about the devil. We're just going to look at a few of them. This is what he says in John. He says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He has never been truthful. He doesn't know what the truth is. He's a liar and the father of lies. Then Jesus goes on later in the Gospel of Luke and he says this about the devil. He's referring to the devil. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Then he goes on and says, but I've come that you might have life and have life to the full, have life more abundantly, have the richest possible life. And he doesn't mean materialism. He means the most life-giving, life-affirming, joyful life that you can have. I want you to have joy unspeakable. I want you to walk in the fullness of all that I've planned and purposed for your life. But the the thief, demonic forces are going to do everything they can to thwart my plans and purposes in this world and for your life. So there's this battle that's raging. So we need to take Satan seriously. So what what are some of the characteristics of Satan? First of all, it's this. We just read, Satan is a murderer. When he came into the Garden of Eden and tempted Adam and Eve to rebel, to not trust God, to go against God, what did he know that the punishment would be? Death. Exactly right. Death. He wants people to die. 
because he hates God. And we're created in God's image. And if he can't kill God, he wants to kill those that are created in God's image, those that look like God, those that behave like God, those that love the things that God loves. He will do everything in order to take us out. He is the spirit behind the spirit and the mind behind the mind of every atrocity that has ever happened in human history. From the Holocaust to Sandy Hook. Satan is the mind behind the mind from the... uh, 9-11 attacks to the attacks that happened in Israel just a few weeks ago. He's the spirit behind the spirit. From Cain killing Abel to Columbine, he is the thought that's whispering behind every one of those. He's the spirit that celebrates every person who ever dies apart from a relationship with God and Jesus Christ and will be eternally separated from him. He throws a party because he's a murderer from the beginning. He is whispering into the ear of everyone. And it's not just when it comes to murder. He is the mind behind the mind who says, listen, I know you made a commitment and a vow to your spouse, but does it really matter? He's the one that whispers in your ear, listen, just take it. Nobody's ever going to know. Because he wants us to begin to walk away from God because when we walk away from God, it leads to death. And he is a murderer from the beginning. And what he wants is for you and I to die separated from God not living the richest, fullest, most meaningful life that God created and planned and purposed for us. If he, can't, if he can't kill you physically, if he can't kill you spiritually, he wants to neuter you so that you are of very little value to the kingdom of God. The next thing is this. Satan is a liar. It's, it's interesting, right? We use the, the term devil. The word devil comes from a Greek word, diablos, and it means uh, slanderer. It means slanderer, one who falsely accuses, one who lies. The word Satan means accuser, one who falsely accuses, who brings uh, into the light that which is not true. Now, here's how he does it, and he's very subtle about it, because what he does is, right, we read, he's a liar from the beginning. He wouldn't know the truth. So he doesn't say the truth. What he does is say, hey, listen, um, you know, you need to begin to question God because maybe God isn't as good as, as you think God is. Like, that's the lie he's used from the very beginning, right? What did he say to Adam and Eve? Like, I, I, did God really say? Did he really mean that? Because there's that fruit and the fruit looks good. And I think God's trying to withhold something from you because if you eat that, it's actually going to be to your benefit, not to your harm. So he comes in and begins to whisper these lies. Maybe what God said is evil is actually good. Maybe what God said is harmful is actually helpful. Maybe what God said is immoral is actually moral. Maybe what God said will hurt will actually help. Maybe what God condemned you ought to condone. Maybe living a life of sin, living apart from God is actually right and virtuous and helpful. And so all of a sudden we begin to say, well, maybe this isn't as bad as I thought it was. And we begin to open our hearts and our lives and our ears and our minds and our thoughts to these satanic, these demonic influences. And so what the, what the devil does, right? He's the accuser. And he comes in and says, now look what you've done. Look what you've done. You failed. You messed up. You stole. You lied. You committed adultery. You're good for nothing. You, you, you're strung out on drugs. You're addicted to porn. You have all these problems. And we think he's telling the truth. But if it's coming out of the mouth of the, of the devil or a demon, what did Jesus say? We either trust Jesus that he knows more than us or we trust the devil, right? 
Jesus said he don't even speak the truth. So if he's saying it, it's a lie. And here's why it's a lie. Because yes, you've, you're addicted to drugs. Yes, you're addicted to pornography. Yes, you lied. Yes, you stole. Yes, you acted that way. Yes, you did those things. Yes, you said that. But he doesn't continue and say, but in God who's rich in mercy and gracious, sent his son Jesus so that you don't have to live piled under condemnation. You can live free because he whom the son sets free is free indeed. And he can, he can free you from the bondage of sin. So what he doesn't do is tell you the truth. He tells you a lie. You're good for nothing. You're condemned. What good are you? What worth are you? What value are you? Just go ahead, eat, you know, um, eat sleep, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. Just go ahead. doesn't matter. Your life has no value. You've blown it. And we believe those lies, and all of a sudden it leads to spiritual death because his ultimate goal is to kill us. He's a liar. He's a murderer. And the last thing is this. Satan is a destroyer. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So in Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells this parable. Uh, it's referred to as a parable of the sower and the reaper. Uh, the, I'm sorry, the sower and the seed. And so uh, it, it's basically, let me give you a quick um, synopsis of it. So Jesus tells this parable, and the sower is the uh, is this Holy Spirit, and the seed is the Word of God. And he tells this story, and he says, you know, the Holy Spirit is going, and he's, and he's sharing the gospel. He's sharing the good news of Jesus. Everyone is going to have an opportunity to respond to who Jesus claimed to be. Everyone is going to have that opportunity. And that seed is going to be spread far and wide. And every heart it's going to fall on. But when it falls on your heart, your heart is kind of like soil. And there's different conditions. And some of it's rocky and hard. And it doesn't have a chance to take root because of your unbelief. And so the birds come in and eat it up. And other ones, it's, it's soil and it takes root. But there's a lot of other stuff, twigs and rocks and, and thorns. And, and it just doesn't go deep. And eventually it kind of just goes away. And then other ones, it takes root and it grows for a while. But a lot of other things crowd in. And you've got a, a, a garden that's just got too much stuff in it. And so it never really produces much. And then some seed falls on a really good soil and it produces a harvest of righteousness. And, and Jesus' whole point, he said, now when that, sow, then that seed is sown, when the word of God, when the message of grace, when the gospel message is, is taught, this, the devil, Satan, is going to come in and he's going to do everything he can to destroy your faith. That's his goal. He wants to come in and try and steal your faith. If he can't steal it, he wants to choke it out so that you get so busy and so uh, caught up in things that at some point you go, it was just a fad. I didn't really mean it. I know I, I, I had that experience when I was in youth group. I know, I know I encountered God at that church service or that conference when I was in my 20s, but it wasn't real. Now it's five, six, ten weeks, ten months, ten years later, and you go, I, I that never really happened. He wants to destroy your faith or you have faith, but he says, I want to bring so much else in that if I can't destroy your faith, I want you to live a life that's passive, that doesn't do anything for God. It doesn't produce a harvest of righteousness. Yes, you may get into heaven, but you're not bringing anybody with you. You haven't accomplished anything. It's where it says in the Bible, you've escaped, but through fire and everything that you had was wood, hay and stubble and it burned up. And yes, you're saved, but there's nothing to show for it. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to come in and wreak havoc on your life. But what he doesn't want is for the seed to go deep, for it to grow. 
to produce a harvest of righteousness. So he will come in. This is why Peter, Jesus, one of Jesus' best friends, wrote this. He said, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. He's looking, saying, if I can take you out, if I can destroy your faith, if I can lie to you enough, I can make sure that you end up dead spiritually. If I can't make sure you're dead spiritually, I will lie to you enough to make sure you're useless to God's kingdom. And why does that happen? Because we allow ourselves to be open to demonic influence. But it doesn't end there. So Satan's a murderer. He's a liar. He's a destroyer. But it doesn't end there. Thank God it doesn't end there. Paul writes this. He says, he, meaning God, Jesus defeated the rulers and powers of the spiritual world. With the cross, he won the victory over them. In other words, yes, Satan's all those things, but he's also one other thing. Satan is a defeated foe. He is a defeated foe. See, we don't have to fight a battle to win. We're going to talk about this at the end of the series. We're not called to win the battle. We're called to stand. You have two choices, stand or lose. We don't have to win. The battle's already won. That's the amazing part. The battle's already won. What we have to do is realize the battle's already won because of Jesus. Jesus came, willingly died a horrible death on the cross, paid the price for your sin and my sin, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. What that means is he defeated death, hell, and the grave. So that means that Jesus is showing for all eternity that he is the Lord, the God, the sovereign, all-powerful over the created world and the spiritual world. In other words, he's God over reality. He is God over everything. So we don't understand why God allows Satan to still roam the earth. But he does. But he's roaming the earth as a defeated foe. See, Satan hates you. Here's the biggest lie that Satan tells. Better to reign in hell with him than to serve God here on earth. But that's the biggest lie of all. Because hell wasn't created where, G where the devil's going to reign. Hell was created because that's where Satan is going to be tormented and suffer eternally. That's his eternal sentence, his eternal damnation. And if you serve the devil here, you'll not reign with him in hell. You'll suffer with him in hell. See, Satan knows that we have an opportunity for salvation that the angels were never afforded. And he hates you for it. He wants to do everything he can to make sure that you don't experience life-changing faith in Jesus Christ. He wants you to suffer with him. See, everything God created, Satan counterfeits. Everything God has, Satan wants to steal. Everything God made, Satan wants to destroy. Everything God commanded, Satan wants you to question. Which means every day, you and I have to make a choice. Will we listen to the voice of God through the Holy Spirit? Will we pursue the things of God? Or will we listen to the voices of demonic influence? Will we open our hearts and lives to those things outside of the natural realm? Will we pursue the things of this world? And if you pursue the things of the world, it's going to lead you to a place you don't want to go. But if you pursue the things of God, it will lead you to life everlasting. So that's what this means. It means you and I need to pursue the things of God. I don't know if you've ever encountered the, the supernatural realm, the demonic realm. I, I have seen it. 
It is terrifying. I have been in rooms and prayed for people, and I have seen things that will make your skin crawl. It's real. And it's terrifying. But Jesus has defeated it. We don't have to win the battle. We have to stand. That's why in this series, next week, we're going to talk about how to fight a spiritual battle, how to, how to fight when we're attacked through prayer, through faith. That's why the prayer night tonight is so important. Listen, prayer is spiritual battle. And so often we just dismiss it. I prayed before dinner. Thank God you prayed before dinner. But learn how to fight spiritually. Learn how to engage in a spiritual battle. Why do you think Jesus' disciples couldn't stay awake for an hour on the night he was betrayed? It's not just because they were tired. There was a spiritual battle raging and they didn't even see it. They didn't stand. And they were all scattered. Jesus wasn't surprised by it. He knew it was going to happen. You and I need to learn how do we respond when we're attacked spiritually. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Then we're going to talk about how do we identify the, the genuine versus the counterfeit. And then the last week, we're going to talk about how do we prepare for battle. And if it works out, and this is my hope, we're going to have a couple of people here from this church who have, who have walked down a path of darkness and they didn't even know it. And when their eyes were open, they were, they, it, it, it was shocking to them. What, what the enemy of our souls was doing in ever subtle ways. They were at a crossroads and they chose life instead of death and it's changed everything. How do we prepare for battle? Because the enemy of our souls comes in in so many subtle, seductive ways. And whether you realize it or not, whether you're doing it intentional or not, when you open yourselves up to all those spiritual dynamics, seances and crystals and, and, and palm readings and, and fortune telling, and you think it's innocent, it opens you to something that you don't even realize. It opens your heart your mind and your spirit to the voice of darkness. And they will come in and they'll begin to impact your thoughts, your mind, your dreams, your behaviors, your beliefs. And you'll end up in a place that you never thought you would. Doing things you never thought you would. Believing things you never thought were true. Because they, it comes in and it ends up engulfing your life. It's not something to be played with. The spiritual realm is real. It would be like pouring gasoline all over yourself and then flipping a lighter, wondering what's going to happen. The result is tragic. The result is pain. The result is death. And when we open ourselves to the spirit of darkness, when we allow that voice in, when we open that door, they will come rushing in. And what starts innocent enough, what starts with a little drip, becomes a deluge. It becomes a tsunami. And it overwhelms your life with demonic influence. And it's not innocent. That's why every day we need to say, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to pursue the things of God. Now, there are some things out there that we can make a bigger deal about than we need to, and we're going to talk about that. But there's some things we don't make a big enough deal about. And it is wreaking havoc in our world, in our marriages, in our families, in our culture, in our schools, in our businesses, in our neighborhoods. 
If you think everything that's happening is simply legislation and the wrong people that have been elected, you are fighting a battle in the flesh and blood. And at some point we need to step, step back and go, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against spirits, against rulers in this dark age. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And God, I'm asking, would you begin, as we just start this series, to open our eyes. If there are places in our lives personally where we have allowed darkness in, through drugs, alcohol, pornography, lying, stealing, dishonesty. God, if there's ways that we've messed with the supernatural realm, through psychics, through spiritualists, through trying to access someone who's died, through thinking there's a, a, a special access through a crystal, through any other such thing. God, would you open our eyes to it? And now by your Holy Spirit, God, would you shut doors that no man could open? so that the only voice we hear is your voice. God, would you open a door that no man could shut, that the Holy Spirit could come into our hearts and into our lives fresh and new, that we would see with spiritual eyes, we would hear with spiritual ears, we would walk in spiritual truth, we would understand the power of the Holy Spirit. We would walk knowing the word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We would know that you will send your ministering angels when we need them most. Because God, there's a battle that needs to be fought, but we can't fight it. We just need to stand by your grace. But God, it's real. Help us not to deceive ourselves and to think that somehow or other what we see is all there is. God, just as the servant of the prophet couldn't see the armies of the living God fighting until the prophet prayed, open his eyes that he would see. And he saw that there was a whole battle raging beyond the veil of this world. God, open our eyes to that reality. Oh God, that's where heaven and hell hang in the balance. That's where someone's eternal soul hangs in the balance. God, that's where life and death hang in the balance. When we take our eyes off of that reality, make it about the things of this world, we've already given half the battle away. We, we wrestle not, we battle not, we fight not against the things of this world. So God, help us. Help us to lean into you. Help us to pray. Help us to focus in on you. Help us to know the battle is already won. You, you fought the battle for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a few songs, celebrate who God is. And this morning, maybe you need some prayer. Maybe you know you've opened your life to some things. And they're not pretty things. And as a result, bitterness, anger, greed, self-centeredness has come rushing in and your marriage is, is in tatters. It's because you've opened yourself up to spirits 
and their influence and you've convinced yourself it's her and you've convinced yourself it's him. But the battle's not against flesh and blood. There's a spirit that wants to destroy your marriage. Maybe some of you are wrestling with sickness and disease. Listen to me. I'm not saying there isn't physical sickness and physical disease, but there's a spirit behind the spirit of sickness. And allow the Holy Spirit to come in. So you might be wrestling with something in, the phys- in your physical body, but God wants to do something spiritually. Maybe you've got some kind of uh, men- mental illness or, or something going on in, in your emotional makeup. I'm not saying don't, don't go see a doctor. Go see a doctor. But you know what? Come to the great physician. So as we open up the altar, if you would like prayer because something's going on in your body, in your marriage, in the physical realm, remember, our battle's not against flesh and blood. Allow the battle to be fought in the spiritual realm. And watch what God wants to do. Let's come to him in prayer.